the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He's praying for me. He's interceding for us. He's appealing to the Father on our behalf. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is praying for you? You know, when, when Jesus predicted Peter's failure, when he talked about how Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed twice, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus is praying for us. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Jesus doesn't send you out into the world without any prayer. He prays for you diligently, whether you'd like him to or not. Pastor Gary teaches you that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and prays for you. You learn that while Jesus was here, He'd pray for his followers, and that since his ascension back into heaven, he's continued to do this. As his follower, it's important that you grasp the necessity of prayer and understand the great power that it holds. Make prayer a consistent part of your day, and you'll see great change around you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans, chapter 8, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Well, Romans 8.28 is a verse, if you're not familiar with it, it is a verse that has sustained many of us through the years. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, uh, you probably are familiar with Romans 8.28. It is a great verse to fall back on when all of the things in your life are going crazy. If you are new in the faith or you're not a believer, you don't profess to know Christ as, as your Savior, um, this verse will be unfamiliar to you, but I hope by the end of the study, this will become a favorite verse of yours as well. And it says this in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, before we go any further, I just want to point out a couple of things about this verse. First of all, this promise is not that everything works out happily ever after like some, you know, Disney movie, okay? It is not this proclamation that every single problem and trial and difficulty is just going to 
everything's going to work out wonderfully and you're going to just, it's going to be happily ever after. That's pie in the sky theology. That's not reality. What God is saying here is that God works all things together for good. And by the way, I love the NIV translation over King James in this section here. Those of you who have King James, it says, and all things work together for good. But NIV is specific about the worker of those good things. God works all things together for our good. If you're not careful, in the King James Version, it just almost sounds like whimsically things come together. It all works out for people who love God. But NIV takes hold of the direct subject here, which is God and we being the object of the preposition. God works all things together for, and then this is another important thing. This is not just a promise for everybody on the planet. All right? God works all things together for our good, for us who believe. It's a promise for his children. It's for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is a very specific promise for those who know the Lord in a personal relationship. Now, it's not that God is is unconcerned or uncaring about the problems that everybody else faces in the world, but this promise in particular is something that Christians can hold on to. As children of God, as as lovers of the Lord, as people who believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, God says, I'm going to work everything out for your good. Now, again, that doesn't mean everything is happily ever after, but it it does mean that as our Father in heaven, he's going to accomplish his good purposes in our lives, and we can trust him that as far as God is concerned and as far as we should be concerned, everything's going to be okay. We may not, as I mentioned this past weekend, we may not always understand everything this side of heaven. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 13. Now I know, but in a glass darkly. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. So there are some things in this lifetime we simply will not understand everything. But even in those situations where we don't understand everything, we can rely and lean on the Lord and we can trust him. He's our father. He's going to work everything out for our good. Don't know how, don't know when, don't know by what means. But God is my Father, and He loves me, and I can trust Him and rely on Him. Amen? Amen. And that's what this is about. So it is, a, it is a promise that as our Father, He's going to take care of us. Okay? doesn't mean happily ever after Cinderella. It just means He's going to take care of us. We may not understand it. Even if we don't understand it, He's our Father. He loves us, and He's going to take care of us. And that this promise is not just for everybody on the planet. This is a specific promise for those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. And again, as I said at the top of the study, this has been a verse that many of us have fallen back on on many occasions. I know I have. And when you feel like things are going in a direction where you don't understand and you don't have any peace and you're worried and you're anxious and you're afraid and all this other stuff, Romans 8.28, I'm going to trust the Lord. God works all things together for my good. He works all things together for my good. He's my father. He's your father. He's going to take care of you. He loves you. And so this is a great verse for us to remember, especially in those difficult times. Now, verse 29 is where it gets a a little interesting. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. All right, now we've got a lot of five words in here and so let's define it and let's first start with predestined here's the definition for predestined to be sovereignly chosen by god to be saved 
But please notice the context. It is according to his foreknowledge. We cannot talk about predestination without talking about foreknowledge. If you do, you, you will simply have a legalistic and a very fatalistic view of God. But when you understand that predestination is in light of his foreknowledge, then it is something a little bit easier for us to grasp. Because, again, the word simply does mean to be sovereignly chosen by God to be saved. And predestined works hand-in-hand with foreknowledge. God does not, just on a whim, decide that some people are going to be saved and some people are going to be damned. That is not a good working view and definition of predestination. It's not like God is picking daisies, all right? And so you're wondering, does he love me? Does he love me not? Does he love me? Does he love me not? That's, that's not the God of the Bible. So when we talk about predestination, and it is a word in the Bible, we need to understand it, but we ought not to have a fatalistic view of the word because we need to grasp it in terms of his foreknowledge. That's, that's what the verse also says there. Notice again, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So some are predestined to be saved, but they are not predestined to be saved in violation of free will. Again, God has given every human being the capacity to choose, the capacity to accept him or to reject him. If we were simply predestined in a fatalistic view where God chooses some to be saved and some to be damned, where's free will in that? And we know clearly throughout the Bible that he speaks about our free will, the choice that we have to come to him so that the relationship can be based on love in response to what God has done for us, not simply because we're coerced in some way or forced to have a legal binding relationship with him. This goes all the way back to the garden, right? Where in the Garden of Eden was placed a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat of that tree because in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The dying process begins literally. But free will was put in the garden from the very beginning. And of course, Adam and Eve, they failed God and they rejected him and they disobeyed him. And then God, because he loves humanity, put in motion from the creation of the world, before the creation of the world, the redemption of mankind through the sacrificial plan of Jesus on a cross. Now, all of this, again, is in relation to God's foreknowledge because God knew that man would sin. So God already had in place a plan to redeem man. In the same way, he knows those of us who will accept him and those who will reject him. Because God knows all things. Nothing is a mystery to God. He knows among all the people on the planet who will accept him and who will reject him. So because he knows, though he doesn't manipulate free will, his knowledge is not a manipulation of our free will. It's just the knowledge of it. He's given us the free will to exercise freely. But because he knows those who will choose him, in that sense, then, we are predestined according to his foreknowledge. We are chosen in him. When are we chosen? The Bible says we're chosen before the creation of the world. I mean, this is, this is unimaginable stuff for us in the sense of, you know, we are, we are restricted to a monochronic timeline. And God is outside of time and space. So some of these things are difficult for us to grasp because we look at everything monochronically. We look at everything as one, two, three, A to B, and, and we, think, we think things you know, chronologically in time, and God is outside of time and space. So when God has you in mind before you're born, it's hard for us to fathom. When Christ and the plan of redemption happens 
even before we're born in the heart of God, in the mind of God, it's, it's hard for us to imagine and to grasp. But in this passage, we need to understand predestination in terms of his foreknowledge. He knows all things, including those who will accept him. And thus, we are predestined to be saved because God knows us in advance. In fact, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, 1 Peter 1, 2, because it's always good to compare Scripture with Scripture. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And 1 Peter 1, 2 says that we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. We're chosen. But how are we chosen? According to the foreknowledge of God. So there's that idea of predestination and foreknowledge going hand in hand like hand in glove. Now, if some of you stumble over these words and think chosen, well, am I chosen? Well, get saved tonight and you will be. I mean, there's a simple answer to this stuff. So exercise your free will, and guess what now? You're chosen. And God knew it in advance. We're chosen according to his foreknowledge. Isaiah 46.10, God says, I make known the end from the beginning, because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows all things. In 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So there's a lot in the Bible that speaks outside of our ability to, you know, comprehend time and space because a lot of it refers to things outside of time and space, which is where God is. And so when we speak about predestination, don't get hung up here and don't think this fatalistic view of God where he chooses some to be saved. And uh, John, John Wesley said, now he was, of course, an Arminian. And for those of you who are Calvinist, uh, you know, you'll take issue with stuff that Wesley said. But, uh, and those of you who don't have any idea what Arminian and Calvinism means, you're better off. Trust me, you're better off. But just for purpose of illustration, for those of you who do know what it is, John Wesley said, when God, if God chooses some to be saved, it's double damnation. Because it means he chooses some to be saved and then some to go to hell. That is also a conflict with Scripture. John 1, 12, For as many, as many as received him, to them that believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay? And so we need to recognize these things in full view of the sum total of Scripture. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Not a select few that he's predetermined. This is an invitation to all. For God so loved kind of the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Okay, but that said, there is this clear case here to be made about God's sovereign choice and election and predestination and being chosen. We're not to shy away from these words and we're not to avoid these words. They're in the Bible. But we need to understand them in the full counsel of God's word. And he's going to build here an argument going into chapter 9. So let's, let's continue with a couple more definitions. Because he also says, not only are you predestined, but he said, look again, verse 30. He says, and those he predestined, he also, second word is called. Called is to be drawn to the Lord by the Lord. In John six forty four, it says, no one can, Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless, unless the Father draws you. So... We have to be drawn by the Lord. And he's working on us by his Holy Spirit. Nobody here came to faith in Jesus Christ only by the exercise of your intellect, though that was engaged, no doubt. But we came also because there was this pull of God's Spirit 
to move us to this place where we exercise our intellect, where we come to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And it is the work of God working in us and around us and through us. And some of you probably can testify before you came to know Christ and you were maybe, you know, you didn't have anything to do with church or God or, or anything. And all of a sudden, different people were coming into your life, talking about the Lord. And every place you went, you couldn't escape them. Who are, who are these weird Christians? Every place I go, they're all over the place. It's God dispatching his people on your behalf until he fa- finally you, you were able to surrender. You got to the place you're like, okay, this is inescapable. I realize now. And then, But all that wooing process was the work of God who calls us. So we're predestined, we're called. The next word he uses there in verse 30 is, and those he called, he also justified. We've talked about this word before. Justified is to be acquitted by God and judged as righteous in his sight. And kind of a play on words to remember it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's the way God sees us in the righteousness of his son. When we come to faith, when we accept what Christ did for us on the cross, we're justified in God's sight. He sees us not as condemned, not as guilty, but as acquitted and as made righteous because of what Christ has done for us. And it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's how righteous he sees us, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ that was imputed to us. And then he says, and those he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is actually a future tense thing, but he's looking ahead. Glorified means the state of ultimate perfection of the believer. And it's, it's really when we get to heaven. And it's interesting because the Bible talks about being glorified in a few different ways. It tells us in Philippians 3.21 that we're going to get a glorified body like Jesus had. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, though he still had a body, a physical body, it was a body that had become miraculously glorified. It was imperishable at that point. It would no longer decay. It was no longer corrupt. It would no longer die because it was forever preserved in this now glorified state. And the Bible says we're going to get a body just like Jesus. When we die, if we know Christ is our Savior, we die we go to be with the Lord. But then there's going to come a day when we will all get our glorified body as well. It'll never perish, never sag, never wrinkle, never burp and other things. It'll be completely perfect. Because it'll be glorified in his sight. And it's also interesting, too, because the Bible says that by this glorified state, we are also partakers in some unique way, partly, of God's own glory. Because in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, it says, He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all these things together is just this wonderful picture of how we're taken from Nothing, we're predestined according to the foreknowledge. We are called by God. He draws us to him. We come to faith by confessing Jesus as our Lord. We're now justified. And then eventually we will be glorified when we're with him and in his presence. So keep reading with me now. Verse 30, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. In other words, you know, nobody gets to declare your righteousness. That's only, that's God's business. God is the one who saves. God is the one who justifies. Verse 34, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Okay, now, 
he's, he's not answering the question, who is he that condemns? Oh, it's Christ Jesus. No, it's a, it's a contrast. He's saying, who, who condemns? Because remember how chapter 8 began. There is therefore now no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. He said, you know, who's, who condemns you? People might go ahead and condemn you. People might say a lot of things judgmentally about you. But as long as you know Christ is your Savior, it's Christ is the one who has forgiven us. Yes, we can be convicted by the Lord, but no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So he says here, and I love this part, the last part of verse 34, that Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared 40 days on the earth, and then he ascended back into heaven. And Paul tells us that when he ascended back into heaven, he took a place, and that place is at the right hand of the Father, where Jesus is interceding for us. Okay? Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. He's interceding for us. He's appealing to the Father on our behalf. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is praying for you? You know, when, when Jesus predicted Peter's failure, when he talked about how Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed twice, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus is praying for us. It's a beautiful promise. You should underline it in your Bibles. Jesus is the right hand of God, and he's also interceding for us. Jesus is praying for me. And then verse 35, great verse, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And Paul has experienced all these things. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isn't this great? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Give an amen to that. Praise the Lord for that. That is great stuff there. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Okay? We will do things from time to time that sin against God. We will do things from time to time that grieve Him. All right? But even in our disobedience, though He never loves our sin, He never stops loving us. It's like, it's like a rebellious child. Some of you might have a prodigal child at, at home, or maybe you don't know where that child is, and they're away from the Lord, and they're away from you. Okay, and they've done a lot of terrible things, and maybe their life is completely messed up. And maybe they've even stolen from you, lied to you. Maybe they've done a lot of different things that are, you know, sad and sinful. But you never stop loving them. You never stop loving them. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. You know, I've, I talk to people from time to time who struggle with this issue. They struggle with the idea that God genuinely, unconditionally, completely loves them. And I would say that if that's your struggle, you just need to meditate on these verses. You go home tonight, you just need to read these verses and meditate on them over and over again. 
and get up the next morning and you read them and you meditate on them over and over again. Because one of the biggest lies of the enemy is God doesn't love you and God doesn't care about you. And, and you can begin to believe that lie. But God wants you to know that he loves you and nothing in all creation is able to separate you from his love. God loves you with an everlasting love and nothing will be able to separate us. As you've been learning from this study in Romans, every person on earth has sinned and deserves the punishment of eternity separated from God. Jesus changed all of that though. He came to die in your place, to give you grace, and to offer you the gift of life with Him in heaven forever. Are you ready to accept this gift? We'd love to talk with you more about it, so give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. We'd like to also direct you to our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Grow tab, click on How to Get to Heaven to hear from Pastor Gary about this important decision. We're so excited for you. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Cornerstone Connection, you'll find them at cornerstoneconnection.cc as well, or download our mobile app to take them with you wherever you go. We'd love to meet you too, so if you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, come visit us at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible. And we're excited to have you join us. You'll find directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know you're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.